Hi, I'm Tracy Malone, and this is Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. In this episode, you will hear from Tony Robinson, the Wanderer. I have a feeling you may be as surprised as I was to hear what Tony has to say. An Australian country kid growing up in Narrabri, the only horse riding lessons he had was to not fall off. Or if you did fall off, try and figure out why and to make sure it didn't happen again. He met some interesting people way ahead of their time using chiropractic methods on horses and cattle. This was to be his new path and he spent many years working and having great success as a body worker, learning and teaching different methods as he went. But Tony, it seems, was not put on this earth to live on the surface. That question of why kept making its way into his life and he, as the seeker he is, would work until he found the answer. This is not a practical interview about the construct of a horse's body. Tony goes deep into the spiritual nature of horses and humans. He is a philosopher and a deep thinker, and there is every possibility he might very well challenge your belief system a little. The one thing that I know about Tony is that he always, always puts the horse first. He cares for horses deeply, and his mission seems to be to help us humans look at them through new eyes. Here is Tony. Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. No worries at all. Happy to be here. Great. First of all, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, the healing work that I do, um, even though it's based in science, it is uh, spiritual and emotional healing. And so that's healing for horses or humans or both horses and humans? Both. Great. Both. Yep. And we work in areas that that are hard to access, um, like areas of the brain and the nervous system and things like that to release blockages that restrict us, whether it's in our private life, our emotional our business, or just riding horses. Wow, so it's deep and thorough. Yep, for sure. Wonderful. I really look forward to for sure. talking to you a lot more about that. But first of all, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about yourself. Did you grow up with horses, Tony? Certainly did. Um, I'm going back probably, oh, probably eight or nine or ten when I got my first horse. And where was that? Where did you grow up? Um, that, that was in Narrabri. Beautiful, in New South Wales. That's New South Wales, yeah. And we used to live next door to a drover. And um, he'd had a lot of horses that he didn't ride or couldn't ride or whatever. And he'd let us take them and canter them about and get them going. And after a while, we got most of his horses going because we had the time and they didn't. And that's where we went from there. Wonderful. When I was a small child, I used to see drovers come through our territory down in the Riverina, and I used to think they were rock stars. I used to think they had the best job in the world. <laughs> Mate, they had the best job in the world. I did a bit of that. Yeah. It's a great job. Great. So was that when you were younger you did that? So you, you learnt riding and, and rode with the drovers' horses next door. Did that get you a job with the drovers, or did that come later? 
No, that came later. The driving came later. I, you know, I. Well, there's no one around to teach you to ride, so we just got on the road. And the more horses you rode, the better you got at it because they all had different minds, different abilities, different temperaments. So you learn to to work horses out. And what type of horses were they? Oh, we're all sorts. I used to get the horses that no one else wanted. You know, <laughs> they didn't want them. So we used to ride them. And after a while, you know, we went on from there. And how did you go with those horses that nobody else wanted to ride? Did you turn them around? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because we just treated them like mates, like what we wanted to be treated. And a lot of those horses were, you know, six and seven-year-old before they broke them in, so they were pretty set in their minds because they had to go straight to work, so they had to be strong. Yeah, but turned around by young kids. Well, that's it, you know. That's it because we treated them like, like mates like friends yeah that's fantastic so what was next in life oh well we we would sort of grew up the same way we you know we we rode all weekend school holidays we were never home and then that progressed into competition whether it be pony club or shows and i chose to go rodeo because that was you know that's where the adrenaline rush was Mm, how old were you then Oh, I was probably 16. Yeah, it's that age, risk, high risk-taking behaviour oh, age. Exactly, mate. You couldn't find any more risk than that. What did you learn from doing rodeo? How to toughen up. Yeah, we, we, rode, we rode with injuries and we learned how to ride, you know, how to save ourselves and look after ourselves even though we were injured. And then that sort of half played out and I went, went camp drafting. By then, I was doing a lot of mustering and contract work. And again, we just used the horses nobody else wanted. There's a theme building here. Yeah, well, for sure, because, you know, I was getting to the age where I needed a bob, needed some money. Mm. And I could see how I could get those horses going and move them on, sell them on. And when I went to a draft, nine times out of ten, I always came home without the horse because I sold it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And a lot of those mares that we sold, they went into into studs because they were pretty well-bred and they went on to breed other horses, good horses. So they were well-bred, just a bit misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, a bit wild. And, you know, those fellows that were riding in those days, they were used to wild and bad horses and... They either gave up on them or didn't want to go on with them. So we got hold of them. We got hold of them pretty cheap. Yeah. And yeah. what came after camp drafting? I was working shift work and I was breaking in and chewing horses a lot and that was back in the 80s. And I heard about chiropractors coming to town and how good they were and I just, you know, I was pretty sceptical. Yeah, back in the 80s. That's pretty advanced for the 80s. Yeah, there was no one about doing it. Yeah, for sure. And there's only three or four blokes in Australia doing it, mm. doing it successfully. And I saw a horse of mine. He was a pretty handy horse. He went over a fence and he was never the same after that, no matter what I did. And Alf Mottram, he he was one of the best chiropractors getting around in those days. And he came to town and I took my horse along. 
And he just said to me, he said, what's wrong with your horse? And I said, you tell me. And he went over the horse and he just said, this horse has been over a fence. I said, yep. Then he treated him and that horse came back as good as ever. After one treatment? One treatment. Wow. You know, his dad, I can't remember his father's name, he learnt the, the chiropractic trade on um, dairy cows. Wow. Because a lot of those dairy cows couldn't conceive and rear a calf, so, you know, they looked for ways of getting them going, and that's how they went about it. And that's where Alf learned his trade off his father. And where is Alf and his father from? Do you know where they originate from? Oh, mate, I don't really know. They, they came out of Sydney back then because they were working a lot on racehorses. Mm, I'm just thinking how advanced they are for a dairy farmer starting chiropractic and doing it back in the 80s. That's really, really progressive for that day. Yeah. That's pretty big, yeah. Yeah, because I couldn't understand why they knew what they did and I got to talking with him one day and that's what he told me. And he showed me how they how they did it, and these were pretty big men. Like they weren't they weren't little fellas, and to handle a cow, you know. So they they just showed me what they did, and I went on from there. I started chiropractic horses. We got pretty good at it, real good at it. Great. How long did you do that for? Well, that that went into the nineties. I I met a bloke by the name of Stuart Ramsey. You know, Stuart was a well-known um, cattleman. He owned abattoirs. He owned racehorses. And he heard about me and he sent a mare, a filly to me. When, she, when they broke her in, she broke down. I had her for about, I don't know, six months. And I got her going and um, I was also riding her. And at the time I was living in Grafton. And he had to make a decision whether he was going to join the, the mare because she was pretty well bred. So they went to start, she, she went to the races and they, they had her down there. And at first start, she was in open company and she was leading that far up the straight. Um, she bowed a tendon oh. and they ran her down and, and she ran third on the line. Wow. And, like, he was over the moon. But that mare, Masco's Dream was her name, and she went on to breed champions. She was a real good mare, like, as far as a brood mare was. Mm. So Stuart took me to town, like, town, Sydney, introduced me to trainers there, and then that's where I got started as a chiropractor. Can you talk a little bit more about other horses that you made a difference with by using chiropractic, the before and afters? Well, we we had a lot of horses. Again, I was still dealing in a few horses, buying and selling and whatnot, and we shifted them on. And they, they went on to compete, whether it was drafting or whatever. Even going back to being workhorses, they were pretty good. Mm. When I was in Sydney um, doing the chiropractic work, it was a pretty hectic pace. In those days, I was averaging 10,000 k's a month. Wow. And that was just driving. That's without the flying, you know, and whatnot. And even though chiropractic was great, it was tremendous. I knew that it wasn't the be-all and end-all, but I didn't know where to go to next. Mm. 
And I ran into a, a salesman. He just turned up the stables one day in Sydney and he talked me into buying a laser, a handheld laser. It was a coal laser. And that was very, very good. What does that do? Well, that stimulates the blood flow, stimulates the nervous system. Because when the, um, when the muscles and ligaments, even the sinews are trapped, they trap the uh, nervous system. And they also trap meridians. You touch the horse with it, and you know, it's a deep tissue one. In those days, and then going back to the 90s, yep. that laser cost 15000 Wow. And again, there's only half a dozen people in Australia that had them. And that was pretty good. We had Saturday horses in Sydney end up going on to win group races. And so it's deep tissue. So you follow the muscles with the laser and it helps to free everything up. Yep. You follow the, the muscles. But I was working in the joints, in the main release areas in the body, even the feet, even on the vertebrae. Because getting to that stage, I could see a lot more than I could understand. Um, and it's only because I had my hands on a lot of horses. You know, you'd probably get 40 horses a week to treat up into that stage. Yeah. And they were all different different areas. Yeah. And by that, I would, I think back to your childhood where nobody was teaching you how to ride. Yep. You were getting all the horses nobody else wanted to ride. Yep. So you really would have had to feel into that horse. Yep. And so you would have actually learnt that um, that that sixth sense, you know, that real gut feeling of what yep. it is you have to do. So I'm sure that that's where it was really honed, because a lot of us of of a similar vintage to you, that was kind of pushed out of us when we were younger. But because of your situation, it was actually developed in you at a young age. So you're able to take that through to what you did. For sure, and like, you know, people would say, "How do you do that?" And I thought, "Mate, I thought everybody knew how to do it." Yeah. Because we were working with it all the time. It just became part of what we did. It was innate. Yep, for sure. And even though the, the laser was so good, um, I knew it wasn't the be-all and end-all, and I, I couldn't explain that. I didn't know. Because I'm, like, I'm from the bush. Everything was black and everything was white. There's no, no difference, no shades. Yeah. And I was married by then and had a few kids, a couple of kids. I was starting to shift from the laser, just using my hands to move muscles, and I, you know, I just don't, didn't know why. Mm-hmm. But thinking back now, I was just being guided. Yeah. And we worked that way, and then I heard about a lady in Queensland teaching a, a modality called equine muscle release, mm-hmm. which is bowing on horses. I thought, oh, well, on the stage where I need to learn more, this is not going to hurt. And I went up and did, we did a uh, did a course, and it involved working on humans too. And I just couldn't see how this would work because it was too, too gentle. I had Bowen therapy once myself, and my understanding of it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, so I had a sore shoulder. Yep. And she, like I'd fallen off my bicycle and I'd really stuffed my shoulder and she said I'm not actually going to touch your shoulder I'm going to work your entire body and get it all back into alignment and allow it to do what it needs to do by 
I think it was unblocking what else is there. Yep. So she actually didn't touch my shoulder for quite a while. Is that the basis behind Bowen or is it something else? Well, that, that is the basis because it, what, what you're doing is realigning the body to heal itself. Mm. Right. And it was very gentle, very non-invasive, and it worked yep. brilliantly. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, and over the years, I've had that many injuries that, you know, it should have crippled me, even should have killed me. But it never happened, mm. and I couldn't understand that back then either. But with the modality with Bowen, I saw things happen that weren't logical. You know, you couldn't understand why this would work so easy and be so good. Mm. And so I went and did this, and I, I didn't understand it, but I just kept working with it and working with it. And when I became so confident that this is where I was needed to go, I sold the laser, and that was a that was a big step because I was making a lot of money. Mm-hmm with the chiropractic and the laser, and it was enormous, you know. And just by changing that, lost me a lot of work because people couldn't see how it would work. Even though they saw the results, they just thought, oh, well, that was always going to happen. So that, that started me on a path um, of trying to understand energy. Mm-hmm. I could accept chiropractic, I could accept the laser. Yeah, that wasn't hard because I saw the result and so did everybody else. You know, when when you've got racehorse trainers and owners racing for $100,000, $200,000, they'll accept anything that they can see. Yeah. But when I went to Bowen, uh, they couldn't exceed it. They, they just thought, no, that was just a take. And I thought it was a take for a while too. Mm. But me, being me, I just wouldn't accept it. I just kept working with it until it got past that phase where I could see that I needed more. It wasn't enough. And I used to treat a lot of horses. I showed people a lot of stuff, but it just wasn't enough Mm -hmm. to keep going. And I just kept looking. And over the years, I kept changing styles, changing direction because... I needed to know more. Did a lot of research. I even went went to did research and couldn't understand why I was doing research. Again, I was being shown what to do. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at the nervous system, looking at joints, looking at glands in the brain, looking at the brain. And the results that followed just by working with that got me to where I am today. And can you talk us through a little bit more about how you worked with those things? I tried to use hands-on energy, but that got in the way. Even projecting energy, that got in the way. You know, I couldn't understand why, mm. um, but later on down the track I could. So I had to look for another way of doing stuff. So it would block what it is that you were trying to do. It would block the intention yep. if you used hands. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And then I I started to understand a lot more by just looking at stuff and thinking about it, and then I'd notice it had changed. And I thought, this, this can't be right. 
you know, you can't have something that's that's changing just by thinking about it. Mm. And that took a lot, you know, that took a lot to accept. So I just did a lot more research. And again, we kept going back into science. And you look at the nervous system, you look at the glands in the brain, you look at the brain where memories are stored. And that's where I went from there. There's quantum physics these days, which looks deeply into that um, entire concept of the mind and your thoughts every day actually creates your reality. I know a lot of people talk about positivity and talk about using gratitude and things like that, but the science actually is there if you look deep for enough. For sure, for sure. And I, I've, I've, spoken, like I've, I've listened to a lot of motivational speakers. I've attended their meetings and I've, I've listened to them. I've watched them. But being grateful is, is not enough. Um, loving mm-hmm. something is not enough because nothing's going to change while our old thought patterns are still there. And I started to ask the question, okay, if, if gratitude is all we need, how come things don't change? Why isn't it changing? And then mm-hmm. I started to see patterns because I watch a lot of people, I watch people in all different circumstances and how they react, you know. And and after a while, I began, I understood that a lot of people just react because they don't know why they react. Yeah, a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Those trigger points in yep. people where something happens and it's just triggered, and they've got no control over yep. it. Right, exactly right. So I started looking at why is that there. How come that's there? How come that's upsetting people when it shouldn't upset them? So I started looking into that, and then I started finding things that were deep-seated, long-standing, hidden and trapped, mm-hmm. things that people don't even know is in their nervous system, in their brain. And I first started to work with that with horses, and I saw horses change. You know, horses that you couldn't catch because they were dangerous. And then you, you work with something like rage and they settle down wow so the deeper i got the further it went on that one tony can you talk to us about a horse can you think of a story where or a a memory of where you had a horse that was like that that couldn't be caught caught and what you did and how that affected the horse there's been a, a few situations if you watch a horse in a paddock and all of a sudden they're off their head for no reason and you can't explain it, mm-hmm. the rage that they swell up inside them, now that, and, that's, and this will take us into other areas where people find it a bit hard to accept. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about past life stuff. Mm. The rage that we carry is of a different life where things that have happened whether it's to us or to other people that we know, has brought that rage on. Mm. And it can be situations, it can be people, events, it can be anything. And that locks in our nervous system, in our brain. And and you just react. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where you react and you think, why on earth did I have that reaction? And it's a strong reaction. It's not like it's a normal, gentle reaction. It's yep. a very strong reaction. For sure. But um, my background is in equine therapy and I'm trained in holistic counselling and 
Family Constellations is one of the therapies that I used enormously. Once I started working with people and horses, that was the thing that that seemed to be what most people needed. And it, it looks, and now they've again done the science where they've found the DNA is actually passed down through generations through your family system. And that's what Family Constellations works. And if there's something within your family system that wasn't resolved back at that time, it naturally gets passed down through the system to the most sensitive of the family system to be brought out again so it can be healed, so it can be resolved, so it can rest, so the system itself can move on. You know, our subconscious or unconscious loyalty to our system is extraordinary and and that's where a lot of that can come from as well. So, yep. you know, when you talk about past lives and things like that, whilst it's very hard to believe, you don't have to believe in it for it to be real because I've watched it and I've I've actually worked with it often. And the, yep. the simple healing words and, and honouring of that system can literally change in the moment. But it does. And, and the, the transformation in people, but not only in the, that person, but everybody around them, they change also. Yeah, because it works on the system itself. Yep, that was tremendous. You know, and powerful. Well, we don't realise how powerful it is because we're only caught up in our own little areas. It's the human condition a bit, though, isn't it? We all believe we're separate. Oh, sure. Yep, yep, exactly right. Exactly right. You know, even even working with things like curses and things like that. Um, I've seen where when curses have been lifted, other people that are not even associated with those people in this life but have been in a past life, they change. Wow. And that, you know, that just shows me how powerful our thoughts are and how a spoken word can change people for eternity because for the best or for the worst. Um, I did a past life workshop once and it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating yep. to just, because it wasn't something that I, I was sure I believed in. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll go along and see what happens. Yep. And, and, you know, some stuff came up, which was great. It's very enlightening. And it, again, makes you feel very small for the part that you play. Yep. But you understand the power yep. of what it is you have around you because it's, yeah, it's not about you. It's not. It's not all about me. Well, that's exactly right. And all these situations that I've been in, I've never pursued it to find out because I had my own ideas. No, that's not right. I've been put in situations to show me that that's what's going on. This is what's happening. You can't mm. deny what you see and feel. Mm. You're at the and forefront. Uh, I'd like to think I'm going somewhere with it. Somebody's got to be first. <laughs> and somebody's got to say it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If nobody says something, nobody hears it. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big field. It, it is a big field. It is a big field. And to, to think that you're powerful enough to have an effect on a field that big is really difficult. But, you know, you go back to Marianne Williamson's quote where she talks about um, it's not the darkness that we're afraid of, it's the light. It's our light and it's it's how powerful we are that we're actually terrified of. Yep. And that, you know, people don't realise, don't understand how good they can feel, you know, and that 
that frightens them when they think that they can feel a lot better than what they are because they don't know what to do with it. But it's 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 like you you get you get people in a situation where there's been nothing but abuse in their life, and then you try and help them off from love and understanding. They don't know what to do with it. They get scared. Mm-hmm. This can't be happening. This is not right. Doesn't fit my story. Yeah, exactly right. And when you can change it, when you can help change it, and they truly want to change themselves, it just changes. Mm. And can you tell me a story? about a horse and how the work that you do has changed a horse. Well, the latest one I'll just, one, one, I horse, one horse I bought, and this is the only one that comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know. I bought her off the internet and I couldn't understand why she has been sold because she was well-bred and she was a good type. What kind of horse is she? Thoroughbred. Yep. So you were buying her for racing? Well, I, I bought her for a broodmare because of her pedigree. I knew there'd have to be something wrong with her because she was four or five-year-old. She didn't even have a name. But when I asked the transport people to go and pick her up, they picked her up and took four of them to catch her. Mm-hmm. And they said, "This is I don't know what you're going to do with this because she's pretty ordinary. But when she got here... She was she was dangerous, and she was dangerous with other horses towards other horses. And I was pretty busy, and I just left her in the paddock, and I didn't have time to to um, muck around with her. And up until that stage, I'd never ever owned a horse that had colic at all. Mm. And as soon as she started getting colicky. I just left to be because I wanted to see where it was going to go. And the problem with her was she had a demon attached to her. And when we got rid of the demon, she came down and stood right beside me and I could touch her, I could catch her. And I never did anything else. Wow. How does a horse get a demon attached to them? Who knows, mate? Probably a person in another life. I've seen plenty of that where horses in this life have been people. I've heard them talking like kids, like girls, yeah. like humans. So I don't, you know, I accept all of that because I truly believe that when we're reborn, we can be born in any shape we want to be born in, whether it's an animal, a bird, or a human. And mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of it. So that's a big transformation from a boy in the bush in Narrabri. To uh, yep. to to what you're talking about now? Yep. I always wanted to find out why, and I can't explain it any any clearer than that. Why is something the way it is? Because I don't accept that it can stay that way. It should stay that way. Mm-hmm. And I've just pursued stuff and pursued it and been put in situations. And in that instant, I knew I could change that situation or change that horse or that person or whatever. Then we just started to see the um, how, for want of a better word, the spiritual effect that's taken place and why. And it goes back to the truth, whatever the truth is. And that surprised me. 
And can you think you work closely with Mel Fleming and you guys do workshops together. Are there any examples of people in a workshop who've been able to make transformations with their horses, especially through injuries by the work that you do? Well, there's been a lot of them. Um, a lot of places we go to, the horse is not going real good. And by that I mean they're not striding out, they're not turning like they need to, they're not stopping like they need to. And we just come back and we start to get the people to work on themselves. And just by working on themselves and releasing whatever blockage is there, they go out and get on their horse and go for a ride and, and they can't believe it's the same horse. Wow. And it can be that fast. Yep. And it's chalk and cheese. As horse owners, you were speaking about a horse that came to you and it had an issue that wasn't attached to its human. Yep. How do we tell the difference? Uh, first, we've got to accept and we've got to let our head go. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we're restricted by what we've been taught for whatever reason. And I found that out earlier on and I decided not to not to listen to what other people were doing or read what other people were doing. I just went with what I felt, what I saw, what I heard. Mm-hmm. That develops you as a person because then, and Carolyn Miss talks about it, you use your body as a barometer to find out what's going on. Yeah, I studied her work back in counselling. She looks at um, yep. the, the body as a, as a vessel to do its own healing. It doesn't mean... You know, you don't call a vet, you don't go to a doctor, you don't do that, but you take responsibility for your part in your healing journey as well. You take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And that, and that's, that opens up so many different doors when we do that. So many different doors. Yeah. You think about our life with advertising, media, everything is telling us we are sold to thousands of times a day. And everything out there is telling us we're not okay, but once we get these products, do this, look this way, we will be okay. So there's so much, you know, and then we wonder why people don't take responsibility for their own health, their own emotions, their own things that are going on inside of them. It's, it's literally trained into us. It's, it's, yeah, there's no surprise that we don't actually take responsibility and we expect everyone else to fix us. Yep. That's for sure. That's for sure. And it's a hard thing to take responsibility for yourself because then if we do that, things have got to change. Yeah, you've got to deal with it. Yep. Yep. Now, when I talk to people in a clinical situation and I just say to them, mate, this is going to be hard for you because it's completely going the opposite direction to what you've been led before. This is about your present, your past, and your future. And it starts with you taking responsibility for yourself. And there's those moments where when I'm learning something and my brain literally hurts, that's when I know that there's yep. new new synapses. What are they called? The, the brain's starting to fire in a different way because yeah, it's the going neurons. the old way. doesn't work anymore. Yeah, the neurons literally yep. have to change in order yep. for me to understand this. And it's like this enormous confusion and my brain hurts. And then I'm like, okay, yep. I'm rewriting the program here. This is good. Yep. And, th- and that's what it is. Our brain has got to change 
for us to accept things and change things. We don't realise how powerful our brain is. And like I say, your brain's your biggest asset, but it's your biggest liability also. Yeah, it's the paradox of life. Yep. And once people have made these transformations, so their horse wasn't wasn't feeling good, wasn't moving well, then you've done the work with them, they've gone to ride the horse and everything feels different again. Has that stayed from there on in or is there something that they have to keep doing in order for that to, to stick? Right, we move on to another area. Horses, their purpose has changed in life. They've gone from being farming animals, warring animals, to guide us through life. Their purpose now is to show us that we've got to change what we do, what we think, how we how we are. So if that horse starts becoming stiff, sore, angry, um, whatever, it's us that look, need to look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've got to see what we're not looking at, what we're not paying attention to. Yeah, it's difficult to accept that in your own horse. But again, I worked in equine therapy where I watched a horse change before my very eyes as the human beside me would process. The horse would just shift and I was like, wow, they really are a mirror. Yeah. You know, here a while back, and I'm going back within 12 months, a lady bought a horse because her other one died. And this horse, there was nothing wrong with this horse. And over a bit of time, it started to knock her down, started to savage her. Wow. When he was in the yard and she'd walk up, she'd, he'd just rush it, rush at it through the yard. Now, we chipped away a lot of layers that was blocking her. But the main one that was blocking her is that she did not know that she had to forgive a situation. Mm-hmm. that happened a long time ago. Now, she may have been part of that, I don't know. But she had to forgive that situation. When that situation was forgiven, she could see auras, she could see energy, and a horse never attacked her anymore. Wow. But that's that's the depths of the stuff. It's a big shift. Like that, they're big movements you're talking about. Yep. And you, you know that that's possible because you've experienced that and watched it happen. I've lived it. Wow. Yeah. That's why our brain has got to change. Yeah. Explain that a bit more. Well, if we can't accept that, if we can't let our brain change to, to forgive or accept that we have to forgive, we just stay in the same place. Yeah. And we just keep going through horses or dogs or people. And that's the responsibility we need to take for ourselves. And so what's something, because these, these are all big concepts, and we'll talk about how people can get in touch with you and, and see you in clinics and workshops and things like that, but is there something you can give us as horse owners that we can take to our horses today that we can do just to, I'm not sure, do something that we can do with our own horses, something that we can take out to the paddocks, out to the, the stalls today and do with our horses. Yep. You go and sit with your horse. might take an hour, might take two hours. It might take a week. But ask the question, 
what am I not looking at? Mm-hmm. What am I not understanding? So we sit on the ground? Sit on the ground, you can sit on the chair, lay down, whatever whatever you want to do, as long as you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter. Each one of us has something we need to look at or change. Mm-hmm. And as we move along in life, we need to change a few more. So what is it that I'm not seeing? Yeah. What am I, what am I not paying attention to? Bring it back to mm-hmm. the self. And so we would ask that and then we just wait and see what comes. Yep. And if you get an answer, you might get a vision, you might get a feeling, you might get an understanding. Okay, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? A lot of people get answers and do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. They may think it's stupid. Just persist and keep asking the question. A lot of people work in in life and have the perception of being rejected when they're not. Mm-hmm. That will curtail you more than anything, the perception of being rejected. Yeah, you see it a lot if I'm out um, and somebody speaks rudely to me or something like that. I make it about me. Yep. You know, I, yep. I, I don't have yep. that awareness and understanding to go, that's actually got nothing to do with me. They're having a really difficult day today and I have a choice here to give support or give space, but it's actually not about me and you can leave it with them. A lot of people think I'm never talking to that person again because that was about me. They rejected me and they're a horrible person and it happens, you know, almost daily in so many interactions with humans. Yep. And that's, mate, it's easy to get there because a lot of times you're having a bad hair day yourself. Mm. And that person comes along and it just goes straight in. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it triggers something inside of you. So if we're looking at something like rejection, you think that's a pretty universal one? For sure. When all this started with me years ago, I've had women call me and say they'll give them my number and name that I'd be able to help. I said, oh, I'll try. And sometimes it was pretty hard to find, but the upshot it was they had a broken heart. Mm. right And it was caused, for whatever reason, in a different life. Mm-hmm. And it affects all of us. doesn't matter what part of life you're in or what structure on the ladder you're on, it affects all of us. Mm. And the first time it happened, I rang the lady in, and said, this is what I found. She said, that's incredible. She said, I'm singing again and I'm I'm happy. Wow. Right. Now, she, the first time it happened was a, she was in corporate position. She lost her job. She lost her family. She lost everything mm-hmm. because she was carrying this broken heart. And no one else had found it. And that just showed me that was the start of it. Yeah. What we carry restricts us. Mm. And it's those crisis points, you know, as well. Everyone has them. That's kind of the human life. And they're the things that make us extraordinary as well as those really difficult things we've had to go through in our life. And and it's like that moment where everything inside of us changes because it kind of breaks us down and we have to surrender and then we we rebuild from there. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, if everything's going well, 
no one's going to make a change. Yeah. So in that time of crisis is the time to do it because we're getting sick of living in the pain. Yeah. I heard a, a great talker, David Data, once um, that I used to study, and he talks about, you know, living your purpose in life, actually doing what you came here to do. He said you're either yep. living in fear or you're living it, – it's the, the fear of stepping into what it is you're meant to do versus the pain yep. of not doing what it is that you're here to do. And whichever one wins, whilst yep. the fear is greater than the pain, you won't do it. And then all of a sudden, yep. one day, the pain yep. becomes greater than the fear, and that's the catalyst yep. for you to have to do this. And sometimes it takes an actual event for the pain to become greater yep. than, than, the, um, than the fear itself. For sure. For sure. And I just say to people, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Yes. Yeah, it's the whole reason for me doing this podcast. I've been thinking about this for years, but I thought, you know, really putting myself out there like this is pretty big and the fear was huge. And then my mum passed away at the yeah. start of this year and I went, you know what? Life's too short now. You know, the fear was just for gone. Sure. I was like, mm. whatever. You know, what's the worst that yeah. can happen? That That is the worst that's happened to me in a very long time, you know. That was a huge thing yep. for me to lose my mum and I went, it can't be worse than that. You know, putting myself yep. out there, doing a podcast, it can't be worse than that. So that's exactly why this is out there today because of that yep. exact thing. For sure, mate, because you're standing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, fear Yep, yeah. you're standing up. So it can be done, listeners. It can be done. Yeah. It can be done and life gets better. It does. It does. This has given life. me such passion and purpose now, you know. But it also gives you a different understanding of what's, what's happening. Yeah. I get a, I get access to incredible yeah. people like yourself. It's amazing. I get to learn so much. Oh, I don't think I'm incredible, darling. Well, we all are, aren't we? Uh, well, I suppose one stage or another. <laughs> but I'm just asking the question why. Yeah, and I can see now why you work so closely with Mel Fleming because her story, as she's gone through horsemanship and techniques and things like that she kept asking more questions as to why as well and every time she asked the question why she moved on to the next level yep. of horsemanship so yep. i can see why you work together because you both live in that stage of why i need to get the real answer and i haven't got it yet yep. and it can be challenging but that's what it's about about stepping up yeah yeah being brave yep for sure being brave so, Tony, you work in conjunction with Mel a lot. Do you also work separately? Do you do individual consultations? Do you do workshops? Oh, yeah, for sure. Separately from Mel as well? For sure. I do a lot of stuff by myself because, you know, we've got to reach that many different sorts of people. You're not going to do it yeah. while on one line. And how, do, how can we find you? How do we find where you are, when your workshops are? How do we get in touch? Well. No, you can do it by um, mm -hmm. by email, uh, Tony and Titan at Gmail. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Thank you. And or my um, web page, Tony Robinson the Wanderer, Facebook page, sorry. Yep, Tony Robinson. So it's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, isn't it? Yep, the Wanderer. On Facebook. 
Um, that's on my Facebook, yep. Yeah. Or you can just call me direct on my phone number. Great. And that number is? 0412-925-260. Brilliant. Is there anything else you want to talk about today, Tony? Anything that you really want people to know? Well, just just keep letting the blockages go. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's that's all it is. Wonderful. And what changes have been made in your life from letting the blockages go? What's changed for you? Oh, I'm probably a lot more at peace, even though I still get a bit cranky now and again, and a lot more peaceful. Mm-hmm. My whole body's changed, like the injuries that I've had through life and have been dramatic, you know. They, like I should be in a wheelchair and I'm not. Mm. And, you know, that's been my change, learning as I go along. Mm. That your mind can change your body. Yep, for sure. And I can tell you so many different accidents that, should never live through. Tell us one. And you just bounce up and keep going. Tell us the worst one. Oh, the worst one. Well, I had my head caved in. Mm, how did that Probably. Happen? Oh, I was riding bulls at the time. So this was back in the rodeo days? Yeah. Yeah. I could put my fist in the, in the hole in my head. Wow. And they, the doctors just said to me, this is what's going to happen to you in your life. And I just said, no, that's not happening, mate. So what did they say was going to happen? Well, they, they said I'd end up a cripple mm-hmm. because of my neck. And what hit you? Yeah, what hit your head? The bull's head. Oh, ouch. Yeah. He just caved my head in. Mm. So they said you'd be a cripple? Yep. And then after that, um, back in the 80s, I hurt my back, twisted my back. My first child was born and I couldn't hold her. I couldn't stir a cup of tea. I couldn't feed myself or dress myself. Wow. And again, I said, no, that's not happening. The way I got myself going back then was pretty dramatic. Um, I don't advise anyone to do it. But that's what got me walking again Mm -hmm. and riding. Wow. And so today, after all the work you've done on yourself, you don't see any repercussions from that at all? No, mate, no. Jeez, no. No. That's pretty extraordinary because a lot of people, that would kind of end and drastically change their life forever. For sure. And, you know... We do that because we believe what we've been told. Mm. I just wouldn't believe what I've been told. There's got to be some way of amending that mind, that body up. And that's what I set out to do. And that's only two occasions of those injuries. There's been plenty more. Mm. You know, plenty more. Yeah, it's that old saying of you teach what it is you need to know. So you had to take yourself through it to be able to teach others. Yep, for sure. And like I said, you know, you're not going to find out if you just sit on the fence and take life easy. Yeah, as a spectator. Yep. 
Yeah, you got to get in the game and have a go and try things that nobody's tried before. Well, that's it. That's how that's how people learn. Yeah, you know, there's always got to be somebody out there who's done it first. Yep. If not, be the first. Yeah. Well, Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show for today. I'm so glad that you've set us this challenge of opening our mind and really thinking outside the box about ourselves and our horses and taking responsibility. I love what you've got on offer and I love what you do. And I also love how you're helping horses. So thank you for everything that you do for horses and humans. And thanks again for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me and um, listening to what I have to say. Thanks for listening. You will find the links to get in touch with Tony in the show notes and on the blog on my website. If you get a moment, you might also like to have a listen to earlier episodes in the series. In episode four, I speak with Emma Bryant. She is an extraordinary horse trainer whose patience and heart shine through when she is training horses. I recently went to a clinic at her property where she worked with Australian Brumbies from SEQ, Southeast Queensland Brumby Association. It was gentle and kind and the Brumbies loved what she had to offer. I'm sure you will too. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps us climb up the rankings and will help get the message out there. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. You can also share us on your social media. Tell all your friends about us. Ask them to join us on our mission as well. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone who might be resistant to technology but would love to listen. I would also love it if you would get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. A big thanks to Mel Fleming, who I interviewed in episode five of this podcast. She gave me Tony's name to interview as they work closely together. It sure was a great chat and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.